If you would, take your Bibles this morning and stand together as we read the text. The text for this morning's message will be found in Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12 and two verses there, verse 1 and verse 2. And we're going to get really familiar with these verses as we'll be here for the next few weeks at least, kind of digging out all that is here for us and how it impacts our lives. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and verse 2. The Bible says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Let's bow our heads and let's pray. Father, I thank you for this day and for the time that we have to gather before you. As I ask every week, Lord, I ask that you please remove the distractions in our minds and our hearts and help us to have open ears and open hearts to the truth that is set before us this morning. I ask that you would speak to us through this message and through your word and draw our hearts and help us to be willing to follow you, whatever you ask us to do, that we might present ourselves willing and living sacrifices. I ask that you please just be with this time and let your spirit move among us and in us. Do the work that only you can do. And I ask that in the name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. As I study for sermons, I, I try to look around and, and look for different material or have an eye or an ear open for maybe quotes or an illustration here and there. Something that might help to give a little bit of color. And this week as I was studying and, and, and going through different material, I came across a few quotes from somebody you may have heard of. Probably the newer generation doesn't know much of him, but maybe those who have been around a little bit longer have heard the name Billy Sunday. Billy Sunday. He's a popular evangelist from the early 1900s. Um, Quite outspoken, had quite a, a way about him, and I came across a couple of his great quotes that I think kind of fit today, and and. There's certainly things that need to be heard out in the general mainstream uh, religious world. His quotes are this, Going to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than going to a garage makes you an automobile. <laughs> I like that one. He's got, he's got his finger on something a hundred years ago. He also said Christianity means a lot more than church membership. If you don't do your part, don't blame God. Some things that ring not only true in my heart, but are going to ring true with this message. There's a reason I start with that, uh, because I think uh, they're going to help us as we go along in our direction. For the most part, you've heard these verses. You know them. You've seen them. Some of you might have them hanging on your wall or embossed on your Bible cover. These are pretty popular verses that... Uh, people are, they're well-loved, and they're well-loved and well-known for a good reason. Because these two verses, with pretty simple statements, cover the whole of God's call on our life. What does God want for us? He wants us to serve Him, to be a, a willing servant of Him, and not to be the same as a world, but to be called out and transformed by His power so that we are an example. It puts it in words that are easy to understand, simple to understand, And it runs really deep. In fact, the the next five chapters of Romans are going to 
be spent explaining that. Keep your finger here and go back to chapter 1. I want to show you something. In chapter 1 and verse 16 is another one of those heavy hitter verses, I guess if you want to call it. One that we know and we're familiar with. Romans chapter 1 verse 16 says this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And do you know the rest of Romans 1 through 11 are spent explaining that? Paul gives the gospel. He explains what the gospel means. Well, in Romans chapter 12, as we turn a a, a corner there, he does it again. Present your bodies a living sacrifice. Don't be conformed, but be transformed. And he's going to spend the rest of the book explaining that. So we're going to park it here for a little bit. We've been moving along pretty quick uh, through Romans 9 through 11. But here's where we're going to slow down again. And it's going to give us an opportunity to handle quite a few different subjects like personal holiness. Or how all of this impacts and works out in different areas like your family or your vocation or society as a whole. So we're going to spend a little bit of time here. The message here is simple. We're to willingly yield ourselves to the Lord in obedience. We are to live a transformed life. We are to live lives that are holy as living examples, ones that are acceptable to Him. And I love the last phrase in verse 1, it is your reasonable service. It's logical, it's, it's attainable, it's something that's reasonable. So we're going to go over that in the next few weeks. What I want to do this morning, for the short time that we have, I, I want to just kind of lay a foundation. We need to lay a foundation first. And kind of give a backdrop or a setting. Um, we stated recently that there is a why. There is a why we live holy. There's a why that I try to be a good father and a good husband and a good co-worker. There's a reason for that, right? There's a foundation for that. I just don't do it to do it. No, there's a why. There's a cause. And today's message is going to be pivotal for those coming because the the coming messages because we need the right perspective. So I just want to look at three phrases or three words to kind of focus on to get our mind in the right track. The first one is in verse 1, I beseech you. You see, there is a need for living righteously. There is a need today for us to live righteously. (laughs) If there's something we need to get a hold of in today's day and age, it's the concepts that are given right here in these verses. The church is to be a transformed people. We are to be different than the world not conformed. When the world says jump, do we say how high? Seems to be the case as of late. Close your doors. Yes, sir. Don't speak about this. Yes, sir. Is that what the church is to be? Conformed to the world? Are are we to be transformed? We are to be radically different, not surprisingly similar. We are to be easily identifiable. Somebody by talking to me, and maybe even nowadays by looking at me, should say there's something different. You're a Christian, aren't you? We should be easily identifiable in some ways, not hard to find. 
Like, people only know if we tell them. Kind of like our political views. We keep it quiet, you know, sometimes in some places. Some people, some people don't. <laughs> some people will tell you any and everything that they believe. Some people are quiet, like, oh, yeah, I'll only, I'll only talk about it if it gets brought up. Is that what we do with the church and our, our relationship with God? It's like hard to find and we blend in? No, man, we have, we have got to start getting a, 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 a hold on the concept of being a transformed people and standing as light in the darkness because what we've done has only brought damage. What we've done has only allowed things to, to progress for the worse. The world is pushing conformity, right? The world is pushing conformity to its values and its morals, which are not God's. And it's starting in our schools. From a very young age, they're teaching our children what is okay to believe and what is right and what is normal. And it used to be that most of that aligned with biblical principles. That's long gone, beloved. That is long gone. And so they are being taught what is acceptable according to the world. And that if they differ from that, they are in the wrong. along with the social pressures that come along with that. As they grow older and as they go through school, they begin to feel those social pressures. Don't be weird. I was a weird kid. I, I tried not to be. I was, just, I was the kid that got excited about chemistry and dissecting things. And <laughs> P.E. was boring to me. It wasn't my, I was just a nerd. That's, that's no, no other way to put it. So, of course, you stand out like that. I'm one of the smart kids, and smart kids don't make it very <laughs> very far, especially in middle school, where I went to school at least. You get this pressure. Just don't be weird. Don't stand out. Blend in. Don't be that kid or that, that guy or whatever. And There's pressure to look the same and act the same and talk the same as others. Don't go against the flow. I think it was only recently I realized that some of that, I guess maybe it's my own personal experience, but I think we've all experienced something along that lines growing up and going through school. Some of that sticks with you, doesn't it? So now in my adult life, I, there it has been, I think I've gotten over it. I really don't give a rip what people think anymore. <laughs> it's just the way I am. But I, I, th- that sticks with you to, to not stand out. Like it's training ground to be quiet later in life. Maybe I'm pushing it too far, but I think Satan's pretty smart. If he can train us at a young age to not speak up, to not stand out any way he can, oh, he's going to try it. And what it doesn't stop in school; it keeps coming. Any of us who work for companies are aware of the recent push of sensitivity training and building a culture of acceptance and all the classes we are required to take. To think and believe the same. We know the pressure of society as it looms with the endless demands of a cancel culture. Conform, fall in line, believe, act, and speak this way or else. We know that, right? In the midst of that, the church is called to be a transformed people. 
Don't be conformed to this world. Be transformed. Stand up and be a witness, a living sacrifice for me. But sadly, many have conformed. And I'm not speaking of the world. I'm speaking of churches. I I can step back and watch mainstream Christianity and quite frankly, it leaves me scratching my head. Many changing or compromising the truth of Scripture to fit the culture. Going great lengths not to offend people. But we want to be relevant. So let's draw the world by looking like the world. And so I am offensive because I have a suit and tie on. There are people who would walk out of a church because of that. And so the church says, well, we better stop that. We don't want to offend. We we don't want to have music that offends them. So let's make rock music that's just a little different. (laughs) There is such a thing as Christian rap. Not my bag. (laughs) And you throw away old hymns. Songs my grandparents and parents and I grew up singing. Now, I'm not saying, I'm, I'm not making a commentary on the music. I'm speaking about the mindset. We don't want to offend. We want to look the same. And so when they come in the doors, it's not that much different than somewhere else they might go, but they're just going to hear Jesus. And the message is we, we don't want to, we, we, we want to speak to social justice and about Jesus righting the wrongs in society and healing the brokenness, which he does, by the way. In fact, he's the only cure for the wrong in society. But you will find that's at a distinct lack of biblical terms and biblical subjects like sin and hell and damnation and wrath and judgment and repentance. And so, church becomes a motivational speech, not a sermon. Because sermons make people feel uncomfortable. And that leaves me scratching my head. What are we doing? What what are we doing? Let me just make this clear from the start. And it's something that I'm going to probably repeat many times in the coming weeks and even in this sermon. The world does not need God's church or God's people to sound the same as the world or to look the same as the world to blend in. Let Let them get that from their own groups. The world needs the church to be countercultural. The world needs the church to stand as light in the darkness, not to affirm the darkness. You understand? No, the world needs the church to hold forth the gospel of Jesus Christ by word and by deed, living changed lives because we have been changed. Being different because we are different, right? We've been born again. We have a new eternal life. Not blending in so people cannot tell the difference. Listen, I want people to walk in the doors and notice right away something's different here. This isn't a comedy club. This isn't uh, uh, an entertainment venue. They can hear it in the songs. Hopefully they hear it in the preaching and the the attitude and the care of the body. That this is a, a church who is centered and focused around our head, Jesus Christ. And we are focused on seeing people saved and and that their eternity might be changed. They might be saved from their sins and they might be added here to this family and to go out and do the same thing. I want people to feel that. 
not to feel as if they walked into a local bar or restaurant or something else. No, I want them to see a transformed people. I want them to see in my life that I am not the same. There is a need for that, and he starts with that word, beseech. Verse 1, I beseech you. I urge you strongly. I'm begging you. You could even translate it. There is a need for this. You see, you need to live a transformed life. I need to live a transformed life. My family needs to leads for me to live a transformed life, as does my friends and my co-workers. They need to see Christ in me. And if there's a problem in this arena, like living it out, this, excuse me, if there's a failure of the church, it's probably in this arena, living it out. Taking Sunday to Monday. See, you can sit here and we can say amen and we can be blessed and we could sing. What happens tomorrow? What happens tomorrow? Does all of this roll over or do you close the door on a Sunday and you start the Monday life? Because quite often that's the case. When you show up to work or school or whatever, how are you going to handle when the stress comes, the meetings or the, the conflicts or the homework or whatever it might be? How are you going to handle that? You see, the, the, there's two parts of our lives and they are not separate. It is not a church, Ryan, and a work, Ryan. It is the saved, sanctified servant of Christ, Ryan. You understand? So if he is my Savior and my Lord, he's Lord over all. We don't separate it. But quite often we do. And it comes at the expense of witness. It comes at the expense of, of people seeing Christ in us. We have to present all of ourselves as living sacrifices to Him. Because it's going to be in the day-to-day that the impact is made. You know people, you work around people, I'll never see. And it could be your witness that gets them to come to church or to come to God. And let me just say one more thing about the word beseech. Paul is begging with them, saying, hey, we really need to do this. The word in Greek, if you're familiar with any Greek at all, is a familiar one. It's parakaleo. Parakaleo. If you've studied it all, you know that word is translated in other places as comforter and helper when he's talking about the Holy Spirit, the paraclete. And it means to come alongside somebody, to help. And that's what Paul is saying. Hey, I'm coming alongside with you. Let's do this together. You understand? We're not alone in this. In living for Him and in the things that we're going to face, we're not alone. Sometimes we think we're all, we are. Like we're here for church and then we go in and we fight our own separate battles throughout the week. No, we're in this together. And there is a need for this, and there is help in this. So we see the need for living righteously, especially in the day and age we live in. Let me give you, secondly, the reason and framework for living righteously. And I say reason or framework because there's one vital term in here that tells us both why we do this and both how we do this. So, We don't skip over it. It's a pretty important term as there in verse 1, I beseech you, therefore. So many people read past a term like that, but it's really important. And I believe every word of the Bible is inspired. 
So when you come to this word, you know what I always say. When you read, therefore, figure out what it's there for. It's it's there for a reason. You know what he's saying? I beseech you, therefore, because of all I just said. Romans chapter 1 through 11. Because of that. All of Romans up to now is hinged on that word. You have a doctrinal section. You have a practical section. Uh, a, A reason why we do it and how we do it. And you know what the word that hinges it is? Therefore. Because of all this, I want you to do this. Why would I present my body to serve Him? Because He saved me when I was a sinner. He paid the wages of my debt of my sin with, the blood, with His blood on the cross and He's called me to baptism and newness of life in the church and walking with the Holy Spirit and being made more and more like Jesus. That's why. Because all that God, all that God has done for me. You see another phrase there? I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. By the mercies of God. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Howbeit for this cause I obtained mercy that in me Jesus Christ might show forth all longsuffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on Him to life everlasting. Paul says, listen, I've done some pretty bad things and if, if Christ can save me, He can save anyone. That's God's mercy, isn't it? 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to His abundant mercy hath begotten us again into a living hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Titus chapter 3, Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us. Oh, time fails us as we could go to many other places in Scripture where it tells us about the mercies of God not giving us what we deserve. We deserve judgment. We deserve wrath. But instead, what does He do? He gives us love and grace and mercy and salvation. Why would we yield to God? Because God has been merciful to us. So it gives us the reason why. But can I also say it provides the framework Okay, so I want to live righteous. I want to present my body to Him. How do I do that? It seems to be many people have forgotten many things that the Bible says. You see, how do I explain this? This is Romans chapter 12, not Romans chapter 6. Let me see if I can explain that. In the last few decades... What has become very popular and is a very prevalent mindset that's taken root in Christianity, or at least part of it, is that, uh, and, and it's a mindset that has kind of affected the perception of what it means to be a Christian. And that is, basically, you skip Romans 6 through Romans 11. Salvation, go on your merry way and live a happy life. You can do what you want. You, you can obey the Bible if you want, but... You know, if you want to darken the door of a church on a Sunday morning every so often, fine. If not, it's cool. Just try not to cuss or drink too much. Other than that, enjoy life. Have fun. Disregarding 
Much of what the Scripture says, either by willful ignorance or bad teachers. Hey, there's a lot of bad teachers out there. My kids went to a, uh, the kids. Excuse me, the kids went to a house last night. <laughs> last night, and they had Bible questions. Okay, hey, that's cool. One of the questions, evidently, was who is the oldest living man in the Bible? Well, if you've read the Bible, you know that's Methuselah, 969. You know what the person said? One of the kids said that. I don't know which one. Maybe it was Karina. Karina, she did. Smart girl. She said, Methuselah. You know what the person said? Oh, sorry, so close. It was Moses. No, it's not. It's not Moses. Moses was 120 when he died. It's 906. It's Methuselah. Then there was another question. What did Jesus say when he resurrected from the dead? And I, I don't know what answer the kids gave, but they gave something. It was, no. He said, peace be still. No, he, didn't. he said that on the, the lake when it was storming. He said that to the clouds. He didn't say that when he rose again. There's not a lot of good teaching out there. You see what I'm saying? People don't, aren't getting grounded in this. There's, there's teaching going out that, hey, once you're saved, poof, be gone, you're fine. But that's, ad, that's disregarding some of the things the Bible says. Like Romans 6 in baptism. Hey, we put that old man to death and we're making a public profession. I'm Christ now. I'm going to live a new life that's committed to Him as part of His body. If it's in the Bible, it's pretty important. And it's not ours to throw away or disregard. Can somebody place their faith in Christ and then never set foot in a church and go to heaven? Absolutely. Because it is by faith in Christ alone that we are saved. But there's some things He asks us to do here in this life, doesn't He? Like present our bodies as a living sacrifice and make a profession and follow Him and baptism and being part, an active part of His local church of this family here and putting the old way of living to death and being Spirit-filled and, and faithful to Him. And people skip that. You know what? That's all tied in when Paul says, Therefore, I'm asking you because of all this that you present yourself a living service, a living servant. Listen, before we start worrying about the ins and outs of how to do this and that, we've got to get our life in the right place spiritually. We have to get our life in the right place spiritually. We need to be saved from sin by faith in Christ. We need to be baptized by His local church and join the family. And it's in that context of what God has provided for us. It's within that context that we serve Him according to His plan and His purpose and His Word. Therefore, present yourselves. And it doesn't, the plan doesn't need to be updated or reformed or desensitized or whatever else we might think. This plan stands regardless of culture, regardless of political climate. Listen, you want to know what's, what's going to happen? Come Tuesday, it doesn't matter who's in office. You know what's going to happen Wednesday night? I'm going to come to church because God has set forth that plan. Come Sunday morning, I'm going to be in church. Come Sunday afternoon, I'm going to be in church. It doesn't matter who the president is because that's the first step in yielding myself, this body, as a living sacrifice for Him is being in the right place. Oh, the church is where we meet with God and where we sing praise and where we find help and love and support because we are a family centered around Him. 
And the tendency today is to throw that out. There's an assurance that comes with being part of his body. Listen, when things hit the fan tomorrow, there is an assurance I can call any one of you and have prayer. And you're going to understand. You're going to understand. Maybe, let me just be honest. I'm facing a possible career change if the Lord so leads. Pretty big deal. I've had one job in the past 20 years. <laughs> maybe, maybe two if you count another one. I've had like two interviews in my life. So for me, this is a pretty big shift. There are some people I could call which would give me financial advice, which would tell me why this or may that may, may or may not make sense. But it's different when you call a brother or a sister. They're going to give me the spiritual advice. What is the Lord leading and how could it impact this way? You see, there's that, that relationship that we have as a body here that gives love and support and, and uh, a foundation. You see, we bear each other's burdens. We share each other's joys. Why on earth would you want to go around that? It's the first step in yielding this body as a living sacrifice. is placing it within His body, joining up with His local body here, and then living our lives through that context. Therefore, points to that. So not only is there a great need, that's why Paul is begging the church at Rome, but he through that begs us today. We can see society. We can see the attacks against our family. We can see the attacks against everything that is godly. There is a need for us not to blend in, but to stand up and live transformed lives. And the need is is dire in this day and age. So Paul and the Spirit through Paul says, hey, I'm begging you. Let's do this. Let's, Let's do this together. He says there's a reason to, not just because of, the mercies of, because of the mercies of God and all that He has done, but also He's given us the framework for that. Salvation, baptism, and church membership. And now I live a life as part of His body, connected with believers and connected with His Holy Spirit and, and, and living in that context. So before we worry about being a good dad or a good husband, those things need to be in place first we got to get ourselves in the right place first. Let me finish up with this. There is a responsibility of living righteously. Verse 1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice. Present means to place beside or place near, and it's allusion to as one would come and present the animal sacrifice in the Old Testament. They would bring that and they would lay it before the priest. They would present it willingly. You see, the admonition here to you, the admonition here to me, is that we present ourselves. You willingly bring you. You see, you choose to do this. I choose to do this. We can't force it. Just the same way you can't force somebody to believe in Christ. This is a choice that you and I make within our own heart. As we sit back and consider all that God has done for us, 
I think if we do that, we're going to see it's a right choice. <laughs> Listen, we take time to weigh out choices in our life like a big purchase, right? Well, I want to buy a house or I want to buy a car or I want to buy this. We sit down and see how it's going to affect all other things. Can I do it? Can we do this? And we view the evidence. We choose accordingly. Why would we not do that with this? Sit back and look at the mercies of God in your life. All that He's done for you over and over and over again. That will lead us to the point where we say, Yes, Lord, whatever you want. Because you have been so good to me. But that's a choice you've got to make in your own heart. I can only echo what Paul says, and I urge you to make the right one, that you would follow his plan and, and place yourself in the right place. Yes, it's, Im- it's important that we take that first step. It's more than that. It's more than just showing up on a Sunday morning. There's a life to live after that, but hey, man, you've got to get the first step right first. It's the stepping stones as we yield our lives to Him. So I simply want to set that out as kind of a foundation. Maybe appeal to the mercies of God in your own heart as you sit back and, and think of what He's done for you. Why wouldn't you yield yourself as a servant to Him? Have you got yourself in the right place? And I guess I could ask, end by asking just a few questions, some that only you can answer and know how God has worked in your own life. I remember being asked a question when I was a young boy and hearing it many times in sermons and in church services. And I think it's a good question. If you were to die at this moment... Where would you open your eyes? Would it be heaven or would it be eternal hell? And if you say heaven, are you 100% sure of that? And why are you 100% sure? Is it because, well, I'm a good person? So God's going to weigh it all out in the balance and He'll see that I've tried to do this or tried to do that? We've already discussed in length, the Bible says there is none good, none righteous, all have sinned. You see, we've all broken the law, we've all lied, we've all stolen, we've all coveted here or there. It's not goodness or not being bad that gets us into heaven. No, we've sinned. And God in His love and mercy has provided forgiveness for that in Jesus. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, He became sin for us. All the breaking of the law, all the wrong things, the wrong thoughts, the wrong words in your heart and in your life, Jesus became those and gave His blood to atone for those, to forgive those, to wash them away. So that we might be made righteous in Christ if we place our faith in Him. We might be saved, forgiven of sin, born again to eternal life if we trust in Him, if we believe that on that that cross, Christ died for you and for me. He took my sin, bore the wrath of God for my sin on that cross. Do you believe that this morning? I believed, I trusted when I was just a young boy, eight years old. I knew that I was a sinner, 
I stood guilty before God. My heart was stirred during the Sunday evening message, if you can believe that. We used to have church at 5 o'clock at night. <laughs> I, my heart was stirred, and I went home. It was in my parents' bedroom. I bowed down on my knees, and I prayed a simple prayer, Lord, save me. And in my heart, I trusted, and I believed that He died for me. You know what? At that moment... My sin was gone, forgiven, the burden of guilt lifted. And I knew and I know now from that moment some 30 years ago, 100% I am sure that when these eyes close in death, I go to be with Jesus. Not because I'm righteous, not because I go to church, not because I'm a pastor, but because 30 years ago as a young boy, I bowed and I asked the Lord to save me. I placed my faith in Him. My answer to that question, yes, I go to be with Jesus. My eternity waits in heaven. I am 100% sure because Jesus died for me. Can you say the same thing? I pray that you can. Because quite frankly, none of this matters until that happens. Church don't matter. Singing don't matter. That's the first thing. You must be born again, Jesus says. I pray that you know that. I pray that you can look back to a time in your life and that was it, man. That was, that was when I trusted Him. And if you have, and you have that hope in your heart, have you been baptized by His local New Testament church? A, a church that practices and preaches and teaches exactly what the Bible says? If not, then why not? Why not? You might have reasons some of which might have to do with human failure. But understand, you're not yielding to man, you're yielding to God. Right? Present yourself to Him. Be part of His body, where His Spirit is. God has done His part. Will we do ours? Will we see the need? Will we see the framework and see the reason why we should and make the right choice? Will you choose to place your life in the right place and then live that out every, each and every day? Again, that's a choice that only you can make. And we'll move on next week to talk about personal holiness and how we be holy in our lives and holy in our families and the choices we make, the words that we say, all very important and relevant things, things that we need to, to have a grip on. But I have to say before we even start that, we've got to get our life in the right place biblically and spiritually where God wants us to be. Go make disciples of all nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach them all things. Salvation, baptism, the church. And then through that, man, we go and we live a transformed life where people see God in us unmistakably, not being conformed to the world, but presenting ourselves as a sacrifice to Him. I pray that you would make the right choice. Let's bow our heads as we dismiss in prayer. Father, I thank you for this day. Help us, Lord, to submit to you in all ways. We see all that you have done and the great mercy that you've had upon us, Lord. And so we bow and we submit ourselves to be living sacrifices to you, Lord. 
Help us to see the framework for it. Help us to see the need for it, Lord, and draw us to continually make the right choice. Use the words that I have said, Lord, to your glory. and Take them by your Spirit into our hearts and our minds to do the work that only you can do. I thank you again for all that you've done. In Jesus' precious name I pray. Amen.